Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 85 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. We're approaching the new year and I wanted to give you a heads up of a big change coming. The Headspace and Timing podcast, hosted by the Change Your POV podcast network, will be moving to an independent show on 1 January 2019. You'll still be able to find it at VeteranMentalHealth.com, but you'll be able to subscribe to this show specifically in your podcast player of choice. The huge amount of respect and appreciation for the guys at the Change Your POV podcast network and their support over the last 18 months, as well as their dedication to building the most comprehensive veteran podcast network. Today's episode is an interview with Dr. Shira McGinn, one of the leading national experts on the concept of moral injury. Dr. McGinn and I talk about the history and development of moral injury and some brief interventions to help with it. Part of this is what us stepping back and saying, what can we do to create an environment to help veterans heal so that it's, it broadens the scope of what's possible and um, broadens the scope of what can be done. So we're thinking about not only traditional ways of healing that we've um, conceptualized in mental health, but really broadening that to a societal level so that there can be multiple things that, that we do as a society um, to help veterans heal too. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast once again. And as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to learn more about veteran mental health. Uh, I personally feel as though uh, today's show is is a heck of a treat. Um, We have one of the leading national experts on the concept of moral injury, uh, Dr. Shira McGinn, on the show uh, to talk about Uh, what moral injury is, how it's similar to PTSD, how it's different from PTSD. Uh, As you know, that uh, both on the Headspace and Timing blog 
and uh, and also on the uh, on the podcast here, we have talked a little bit about moral injury. Uh, we actually had uh, Dr. Joseph Courier uh, talking about evaluating moral injury back in episode 33, uh, and it's a ton- it's a concept that both I recognize from my service, but also in my work as a clinical mental health counselor. And so I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to have this discussion today. Uh, so I'd like to uh, introduce uh, Dr. Shira again. Shira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here today. No, I, I know that uh, in, in your busy schedule, and, and you wear many, many different hats, uh, uh, so to be able to take the time out, uh, my, my goal is really to take what, what we know as clinical mental health counselors and get it out to the individuals that need it. And uh, and I just can't thank you enough for the uh, the the ability to come on the show and kind of talk about it. So before we get into moral injury, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and sort of your background. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, So I'm a clinical psychologist by training. Um, I've been working in the VA system since 2001. So I was first at the Boston VA um, and moved to the San Francisco VA in 2005 and have been here ever since. Um, And it's really uh, just been an absolute pleasure for me to to do this work. I've been so um, honored and humbled to do this work. And um, really the the whole research area of moral injury um, grew out of my own clinical work. So I wear several hats in my day-to-day life. Um, I'm a clinician um, and work directly here at the VA with patients um, who are coming in um, after their deployments and also patients who have been coming for quite some time. And so I wear a clinical hat. Um, I also do research and one of my main areas of focus is moral injury and um, the impact of killing in war as well as PTSD more generally. I also wear a hat, um, a training hat, um, as working here at UCSF um, and the VA. The UCSF piece is um, the, the teaching hospital here and so I also teach evidence-based psychotherapies for PTSD as well and um, also supervise uh, fellows um, as well as interns and externs who work here as well. And so um, that that balance really um, allows me to see things from several different perspectives, and that's been really helpful for me with this topic. And so all of the research that I do for me personally really grows out of my own clinical experiences. And so um, it was really veterans' own voices and veterans' own experience that brought me to looking into this and wanting to fill a gap that I was just seeing very early on in my work um, around this topic that really drew me in um, to keep asking questions and doing the work that I'm doing um, today. So um, so I think that that's maybe a little bit of helpful <clears throat> information about where I'm coming from and um, wh- how I've reached sort of some of the um, some of the research topics that I have. Um, that I'll also say that something that's been really critical for me in this work is um, is starting from the ground up and and really um, doing a mixed methods type of research. So not only um, collecting surveys and doing uh, data analysis that way, but really having focus groups and talking to veterans very directly about their experiences with this topic has been critical for me. And so for me, those two things are very important um, that those things go hand in hand, not only doing 
traditional research with big databases, but also um, having that clinical contact as well as focus groups and other things that can really, um, we can look at this topic from many different ways um, and bring together lots of information to give us the best understanding um, since, it, since moral injury is quite a complex topic. So, so hopefully that's a little bit about my background and where I'm coming from. No, that that's great. It's uh, it's interesting to hear that uh, having started uh, clinically in two thousand and one. So obviously, um, you know, right there, of course, at the beginning of nine eleven. Uh, but we really didn't start seeing um, the mental health impact of uh, the current wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, um, until it, at least two thousand four. Um, but definitely, as far as I understand, closer to uh, two thousand six or two thousand seven. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to hear, um, you know, how things shifted because you sort of bridged the gap maybe before, um, you know, um, I imagine at that time it was a lot of Vietnam veterans as well as uh, maybe perhaps some Gulf War and Cold War veterans. Uh, and then the transition to, um, to post 9-11 veterans. That's right. Yes. And so um, it was interesting. So I was actually... Um, had started working at the VA right before 9-11 happened. Um, and so it really was just um, year after year, a very different um, evolving situation with the wars that were going on. Um, and as more and more work, people were coming in down the line, it really did change, I think, the thinking and our understanding um, of how we needed to care for people. And so in the earlier days in 2001, it was um, definitely who I was seeing was more the Vietnam era. And that quickly shifted, actually pretty, um, pretty quickly, um, was at the Boston VA um, up until um, 2005 about. Um, and it was really uh, by the end of that period, we were seeing a lot um, of the veterans who were just coming back um, and um, who really were those veterans who were um, willing and able to reach out for help and get mental health care. And so um, it was it was right after they had gotten back. And so the veterans that we were coming that were coming in at that point were um, their, the experiences were fairly new for them. And so it was um, and, you know, the vet a lot of the veterans that we're seeing now, um, it's really mixed in terms of those that um, are coming in um, many years later to those who are coming in sometimes even a decade later. And so it's um, the landscape is very different than it was back then, but I think really um, addressing all of those time, um, all of those times after uh, a veteran's deployment is are really important. And I like to think about that developmentally as well. So what does someone need right after they get back? What do they need? Um, a few years later, and what do they need a few years after that if they're seeking mental health care for the first time? And I think it also, um, there's the issue of natural recovery, and um, I think that people sometimes, um, after they get back, just need that time to reconnect with families, reconnect with communities. And so um, so we're seeing people at all different time points, I think. Um, at least I have seen people at all different time points um, since I've been involved um, here at the VA with the mental health care system. 
No, I think that the, the idea of looking at it developmentally, the needs that, that one has immediately after returning from deployment is going to be different than the needs one's going to have, you know, 15 years after deployment. You know, we know that the, the Vietnam veterans, number one, PTSD wasn't a, a diagnosis until 11 years or so after the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, and then veterans really didn't start seeking the treatment until the mid-80s. Um, you know, the Vietnam Wall came up and, and you know, and, and President Reagan really kind of came out in support and trying to put sort of the, the specter of Vietnam behind us. And then the, but the current veterans, and I'm seeing this in my clinical work too, um, are now coming in sooner than the 15 years, you know, say maybe five or eight years. Um, but, but then I, I think the concept of moral injury has also developed over time. I know that the first time Honestly, the first time that I first considered or even heard the term moral injury um, was uh, was a book by uh, David Phillips um, called Lethal Warriors. Uh, that was actually about my brigade. I was in Iraq with that brigade. Uh, and when we came back from uh, deployment, um, that in, in many ways, I say the city was almost literally on fire. Um, many... Um, I think 10 soldiers were responsible for 16 literal murders. Eight out of 10 or something like that was out of one battalion. And I, and I started seeing that. Um, and, and the concept of moral injury was first um, uh, broached in the book, which then led me to Dr. Jonathan Shea, who first started working with this in the early or in the mid-80s or, or in the 80s with his book Achilles in Vietnam. Uh, but it wasn't really until 2009 with you and Dr. Litz and your colleagues really having some type of operational definition of moral injury. Um, so as far as I understand, that's what the timeline, is that fairly accurate? Yes, that, that was beautifully said, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, Jonathan Shea was really uh, beginning to grapple with some of these issues, um, you know, when he was caring for the Vietnam generation, also at the Boston VA. Um, and and I think that it, it sort of blossomed um, and now, the nice thing is we're able to approach it. The definition has been expanded a little bit, so we're really able to see it from many different perspectives, um, you know, and both acknowledge um, the the issues around leadership that can sometimes happen as well as the issues with um, killing in war and some of the other uh, things that people experience that um, could potentially lead to moral injury. So I think um, the, the evolution has been really important. And it's still, I mean, as um, as much uh, progress as we've made, I think that um, this is really, we are still, uh, this concept is in its infancy of, um, of really the research and the clinical work is, is blossoming, but we're really at the start of this. And so I think we have a long way to go um, to understand it in greater depth. And I think... Um, the the key here is is that even things you you probably talked to Joe Currier about this as well. Even when we think about measurement, um, just in the last few years, how we've thought about measurement of moral injury has really changed. And um, with all the new research that's coming out, we're becoming more and more refined um, about how we understand moral injury and the kind of information that we have, um, both from clinical work and studies. And so I think that's really important. It's an evolving definition. Um, and with people like you who are doing clinical work and um, people who are doing research, we're, we're sort of working together to understand this and how we can um, sort of define it, but also how we best support our veterans in intervening 
Um, so I hope that's something we can also cover today because I think the intervention pieces, both the measurement piece and the intervention piece, really have to go hand in hand. So. You know, yeah, certainly I think the uh, just defining the shape of the problem doesn't make the problem go away. So we do have to, uh, okay, now that we have this, this pot of stew here, how do we, how do we deal with it? Um, and, and I agree. I, Dr. Courier and I did uh, talk about that um, in, in his way of measuring how moral injury is expressed versus some of the earlier ways of just sort of whether it's there or not. So it's sort of, you know, a, yeah. defining it by how it is. Um, and we're actually using, um, after after I started work with uh, Dr. Courier, I now work with uh, justice-involved veterans at my local veterans court, um, of which the the morality or, or just the idea of right and wrong, and I'm not talking about morals here in the, the morality sense, but just what we believe, veterans believe right and wrong in the world. Um, and we've mm -hmm. actually started using Dr. Courier's, um, the Expression of Moral Injury um, survey, to be able to help inform some of the treatment. Um, it, so it's been very beneficial in their practical applications. Um, I'm curious to I hear, love, though. I love that. And, and it, is, it has been very beneficial. And, and a lot of times when I work with veterans, um, they're told it's all PTSD, right? We're, we're told that, that everything yeah. is PTSD. And, and so perhaps you personally or, or even um, clinically, do you see moral injury as a subset of post-traumatic stress or is it a, a separate construct? That's a great question. And I think the way that I really think about it is that um, it's almost like a Venn diagram, right? With there's a piece that's shared um, and there are pieces of each that are really unique. Um, and so I think that um, with moral injury, and so maybe sort of the best thing for me to do because, you know, one of the pieces of moral injury that I focus um, most on in my own work is the impact of killing in war. And so, you know, one of the things that we know is that um, for people who, who do kill in war, um, not everyone develops moral injury, but for those people who do, we really want, and for those people who continue to be distressed, um, we want to have a, uh, an intervention that really helps. And so um, the way that I really think about it in terms of the Venn diagram, just using killing as one example, is that um, with moral injury, um, I think that there, there can be an activation um, and there can really be um, the idea that you have crossed the line and um, there's questions about um, morality and moral activation that happen um, that aren't necessarily a piece of what we traditionally talk about with PTSD. Um, so when we think of PTSD, there can be, um, and the models of treatment in PTSD are really based on um, originally fear-based models, as you know, because of your own work. And so um, a lot of the treatments that um, that have been developed, the evidence-based psychotherapies, are really based on fear-based models. And now with DSM-5, that definition is really expanded to include other emotional experiences. Um, but I think if you really um, dig deep into moral injury, um, things like guilt and shame are, are just really part of the clinical presentation where they may or may not be um, part of the PTSD clinical presentation. Um, and I think that um, with PTSD, whereas the person is a recipient often, um, not in all cases, but more commonly, you know, there's an ambush or there's 
um, the person's life has been threatened with a lot of moral injury, the person plays a very active role in the trauma. And so it makes it quite different in terms of the reactions. And so, um, and again, with moral injury, there's a line that someone feels like they have crossed. And that really sets the stage for the thoughts that come up and the guilt and the shame and the withdrawal. Um, there's also, with moral injury, um, a very important failure to forgive or to, um, you know, an issue with self-forgiveness in particular because of what happened oftentimes. And I think that that is actually a critical piece of um, how how I tend to identify moral injury, that there's the guilt and the shame and the self-forgiveness and a, a demoralization that's profound that happens. Um, and And oftentimes when when I have patients that I come in and who are um, expressing suicidality or suicidal ideation, if I work backwards, what I will find is that it's connected to something um, about a line that they crossed um, where they feel like they went against their morals or values and are really suffering because of that. Um, and so I think the, 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 um, the actual traumas can be quite different, and then the manifestation of how symptoms are expressed can also be very different with moral injury having a much higher um, focus on sort of guilt, shame, demoralization, and a failure to to self-forgive. Um, so I think those are, are kind of some of the key things that I look for. Um, and again, then there's kind of the overlapping piece of that Venn diagram, right, which is some of the ways in which PTSD and moral injury have some shared symptoms. And so things like, um, you know, hypervigilance can happen in both. And some of the kind of more traditional PTSD symptoms with moral injury, you can certainly have re-experiencing or intrusions. And so there's, there's definitely can be shared symptoms, but I will also say that I've seen more people with moral injury who have more um, typical symptoms of depression and really not... Um, mm -hmm coming in with PTSD. So I think that's another area that we really have to, um, a lot more to learn about is um, what what travels with moral injury. And I, I've certainly seen not only depression, but also substance use um, that happens <laughs> mm -hmm. with moral injury. And so I, I don't think that it has to be PTSD that goes hand in hand with moral injury. And in many cases it is, but in I've also seen cases where it really um, is depression or that there's moral injury without a mental health issue. Um, and so it's really um, the moral injury is primary um, and that's really what the person is struggling with. So, um, so I think if we keep an open mind, I think we will recognize that there's a lot of combinations and permutations of what we call moral injury. Certainly. I mean, and it's, and it's not, it's definitely not binary. Either it is PTSD or moral injury, um, but there are a lot many, a lot more aspects to the equation. Um, the idea of, I have seen veterans who, um, who, who may or may not have necessarily been, um, felt guilty about what they did as they did it. But when it comes to the context of their family, they can't explain to their family what they did. They feel as though their family would have would judge them or they've changed way towards their they can't tell their children what they did their they can't tell their wife what they did especially even as you were talking about killing in combat um, I, I've talked to some spouses uh, to be honest mine mine included who who said I don't want to know um, and that just relationships can complicate 
how we address what happened in combat. It is such an important point because I think that um, what we found when we talked to veterans about this topic is that the, the stigma and the secrecy are profound aspects of moral injury. And so there's this idea that these are things that you don't talk about and not even with providers, you know, that this is something that you have to take to your grave with you, so to speak. And, um, and I think that it's, it really impacts people over time because there's, there's this notion that, um, that what, what was done needs to kind of stay with the individual. And I think that that can really cause, uh, in many cases, a lot of long-term difficulties down the line for people who are distressed, you know, and, and you're absolutely right that people feel like they can't talk to their families and even worse, if their families found out somehow, then there would be ramifications for that in terms of their relationships. I think it gets even more complicated, but so for example, um, when people were in war and um, had the experience where um, I worked with people who had to kill um, women or children and really um, have suffered tremendously and then they go back to their own families and as a daily reminder, their own children, they're worried about um, their own children are a trigger for them about what happened, and then they're also then worried about something happening to their own children or their own families because of what they've done. And so living in that um, situation daily um, can really cause uh, a long-term, long-term effect if people aren't able to, to share in some way with someone who is trusted. And, you know, and I think the other important point is that doesn't always have to be a mental health clinician. It can be, um, you know, someone from the person's spiritual community. It can be a trusted other that's a friend or someone who they served with. Or there are a lot of um, possibilities um, for that with, you know, mental health clearly being one of the options. Um, but I think that it's, you know, the carrying that um, on a day-to-day basis can just really... Um, cause a lot of issues down the line for people who are feeling like they want to talk about it but can't. And it's it's really interesting because one of the questions that I often get is um, I'll be contacted by people who work with end-of-life issues and veterans, and I think this issue comes up a lot at end-of-life for people who have kept it a secret and then um, just feel like they have to Sort of talk about it when they get closer to death, when they're in hospice, etc. So, um, so it's there's so many um, ways in which I think um, moral injury can impact people, and I think what's incredible about this day and age is that we have a word for it now, and I've seen that really shift the way that people relate to the topic, right? And so, even giving someone a word or having a name to call their experience. Um, can create great shifts. And like you were saying before, it doesn't solve the whole situation, but it starts to give us a common language to where we can say, here's what's going on for you. And we want you to be able to talk about this. This is an important part of your experience and we want to hear about it. And so I think also as therapists, one of the things that I like to always talk about as well is how important it is to, to, um, give the message that this is okay to bring into therapy um, and that this is something that is um, important and also very relevant to bring into therapy. Because I think not everyone 
um, feels like they can. So sometimes it's just having an open conversation about even that piece of it that can go a long way. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, and the idea of being able to, um, you know, if we hang a tag on it, of course, you know, the, the whole idea of we don't want to stigmatize, we don't want to, to medicalize, so to speak, but, but having some shape to contain it that we're able to then have a conversation about it. Um, whenever I work with uh, veterans, this is something that I typically do is we talk about all these different aspects, as you'd mentioned. Um, you know, of course, there was PTSD and PTSD and TBI being what everybody really believes is the main um, thing. Uh, but then, of course, as you said, substance abuse, emotion, moral injury, family stuff. Uh, and many times I'll, I'll ask the veteran, had they heard of moral injury? And, and they haven't. They, they said that even those who had been in therapy before had no familiarity with it. So I sort of explain it. And so maybe it, at this point, I, I'd like to be able to give the audience um, some the actual definition. And this is the definition from uh, yours and your colleagues article in 2009. Uh, moral injury can be defined as perpetrating, failing to prevent, bearing witness to, or learning about acts that transgress deeply held morals, beliefs, and expectations. And so that's the, I, I did something, I failed to stop someone else from doing something, I saw it, or I learned about it. Um, and these are things like um, the, the Abu Ghraib scandal, um, or, um, you know, Me Lai, of course, back in Vietnam, these large-scale, um, you know, deeply held transgressions. The way I sort of refine it, and, and you know, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, um, is just the, the veterans' definitions about what they consider right and wrong in the world has been shifted by their experiences. Would that be accurate? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, there's, there's this idea about personal expectations and also about shared or cultural expectations as well. And I think it's, um, you know, something that we talk about a lot too is, um, those things can be the same or they can be different for individuals as well. And so um, I think just putting that all out on the table can be important for people because sometimes they cross a personal line or they feel like they cross a personal line, even though the culture in which they were embedded didn't, wouldn't necessarily agree that they crossed that line. You know, so those things can sometimes I think also come into conflict um, and, and make it hard to sort of digest what it means that they're feeling badly about what happened. So, so yeah, and I, I could think see, that, that definition is important. And I could see that even shifting, going from a culture where this act is not seen as morally transgressive and then moving back into a culture where it is seen as morally transgressive. Here we're talking about yeah. being in combat and around other individuals who say, well, of course you should have taken the shot and I would have taken the shot and you got, you got awarded for taking the shot or praised for taking the shot, but now you come back to the U.S. or, or you know, a country of civilization, so to speak, and then that's no longer approved. Um, that can be confusing without understanding the cultural nuances back and forth. Beautifully put. Yes, I, I agree that um, the culture plays actually a, a tremendous role in um, in people coming back and then healing or not being able to heal, right? And I think, um, you know, I'm glad that you brought that piece up because I think um, part of the what I'd like to see more of in the future is a discussion about how the culture can help veterans heal from moral injury. So I think it's 
it's also there have been um, started to be some programs where you know the it's not only on the individual to heal but that there's a recognition that the culture that we live in has to support veterans you know we that as a culture we ask people to go to war and so we have to have them come back and really understand what we need to do to help veterans heal and so um, I've seen programs and they're starting to be now more programs um, that are like this about um, reading texts together, so civilians and veterans coming together and reading texts or um, performances or, um, you know, in addition to that, there's sort of more spiritually based um, community events where people can go and, and share and, and have their experiences um, be witnessed and in a sort of supportive environment. And, um, and so I think that I've seen a number of kind of community um, interventions as well and communities coming together to, to really take the burden off of the veteran and say, what can we do to come together? And it kind of ties into the, the family piece that you were talking about too, right? Because it's part of this is what us stepping back and saying, what can we do to create an environment to help veterans heal so that it's, it broadens the scope of what's possible and um, broadens the scope of what can be done. So we're thinking about not only traditional ways of healing that we've um, conceptualized in mental health, but really broadening that to a societal level so that there can be multiple things that, that we do as a society um, to help veterans heal too. So I think that that's that really ties into moral injury because such a big piece of moral injury is that um, what people carry with them around not being forgivable or not being able to be forgiven because of what happened. And so that process of self-forgiveness um, and for, for forgiveness of, um, you know, uh, kind of on a larger scale, I think really does have to involve the community at large as well. So... You know, I, I do agree. I think uh, that's critical. As you were talking, I'm thinking back to we actually had um, Dr. Philip Smith, uh, one of uh, Joe Courier's colleagues uh, at the University of South Alabama, talking about Operation Deep Dive and how they are looking at um, community-based interventions around veteran suicide. How can the communities come around um, and, and sort of support um, veterans in, in curb suicide in an environmental way um, in a sort of systematic way around the veteran. Uh, but then also, uh, we actually had uh, Brian Dorries from the Theater of War Project at, way back on episode 18 um, it, doing exactly that and what Brian um, and, and the um, it, taking something that's thousands and thousands of years ago, I mean, going along with Dr. Shea's Achilles in Vietnam, but the plays of uh, uh, Ajax, uh, Sophocles, and talking about Ajax. And being able to present that in such a way that provides distance, but then that gives permission for the community and the veteran to come together to kind of talk about that. So I, I absolutely agree, yeah. and I think that all of these things are necessary. And and, yeah. and so a, a little bit that uh, we're talking about the um, uh, the moral injury, but you also wanted to discuss a bit some of the interventions um, that would actually yeah. We're not, we're not just defining the problem, but there's also actual things that the clinical community has found beneficial to sort of help veterans heal from this. Yes, absolutely. And so I think, um, you know, two interventions that um, 
specifically that we are looking at here. Um, one is an intervention that uh, specifically um, deals with veterans who have been impacted by killing in war and, and continue to struggle with that. So that um, intervention is called the Impact of Killing or IOK. Um, and that's something that we have kind of developed from the ground up again, really because of um, not only my own clinical experiences, but that of my colleagues as well. So I work um, with a clinician, um, Chris Berkman, here, as well as, you know, a, a sociologist, um, Natalie Purcell, um, who really has been very influential in having us um, look more at the community aspects of this. But I think um, really the key is that um, it, the, this IOK grew out of clinical experiences of Chris and I, and also some of my colleagues here, this is kind of an ongoing conversation that we have. And the idea is that we have these evidence-based treatments for PTSD. So I work within a PTSD clinic. And so um, we have these evidence-based psychotherapies for PTSD. But what we really felt like, even after people do that, um, if they are suffering from moral injury, often that there's another piece of work that they have to do. And we've just seen that clinically over and over again. And that's really why we developed IOK to be used um, if people still, even after getting the evidence-based treatments, continue to have difficulty. And so the idea with IOK is that um, we really talk about the experiences in great depth, but we also have people um, do things like think about um, the topic of um, of self-forgiveness in great depth. And so where we start is we really start with kind of highlighting the kind of the biological and the emotional and the cognitive pieces of what happens um, in killing in war. And then we move to talking about ways in which people are thinking about their own experiences. And so what we see a lot with killing in war in particular is that people, in addition to guilt and shame, there are a lot of um, ideas about, um, I don't deserve to be forgiven for what I did. I don't deserve to live a good life, to have a family because of what I did. So there's a lot of ways in which people's functioning can be really halted um, because uh, of some of the ideas that they have about what they did and what that means about them. Um, there's also this fear that because of what they did, um, you know, they're, they're concerned about their anger and what that could mean for their relationships and um, with other people and their families. And so that's all, we kind of disentangle a lot of those, um, a lot of those thoughts that come up and we look at those, we unpack all of that and look at it very carefully. Um, we developed a measure called the KCS or the Killing Cognition Scale um, to really um, capture a lot of those cognitions that we were hearing over and over again in veterans. So the ones that I talked about, just about not deserving to have a family or feeling tremendous guilt or shame. Um, and so really we were, um, we captured those in a measure and, and we kind of give those the measure to veterans and say, we want to understand where where your moral injury lies. So is it kind of in the, um, the functioning piece? Is it in the guilt or the shame? Is it that um, you're stuck in terms of the spirituality piece? So we really kind of integrate the spirituality piece um, into that as well. And so we look kind of with a magnifying glasses all at the ways that people are thinking about their experiences. Um, and then we also 
um, move pretty quickly to talking about self-forgiveness in particular and having people think about how do they define self-forgiveness and what, um, where did they learn about forgiveness and what that means, like from their culture, from their childhood, from the military, and really have them talk in depth about that. Um, and in addition to that, we have them sort of talk about the myths of forgiveness. So to forgive is to forget. I think that's a big one that comes up for people. Um, to forgive is to forget, I think, is one of the biggest reasons that people feel like they don't deserve to, to forgive themselves because it would mean forgetting what happened. And so we work with them to really talk about how um, is it possible to do both, to still remember and commemorate yet also work towards forgiveness. Um, and, and that's a, a critical piece. We also um, have them write letters in IOK um, to the people who they have killed in particular. And those letters, as you imagine, can be quite intense and um, really get at the very core of what people are holding back and holding in. It's all of the worries about, um, you know, they're talking to through a letter to the people who they have killed and, um, and imagine what those people would say back to them too. So it's really, um, I think, an important piece of healing. And then there's um, the the also an, a very important part of that that's not really dealt with in the existing evidence-based treatments is just the, what we call um, amends. Um, so that's sort of what what are you going to do from here on out to to sort of keep healing and to keep this process going. So for a lot of people, it's you know doing something that will give back to their community, giving back to their families, um, joining an organization, participating in um, some of the readings that you and I were talking about today. Um, and so really that amends plan is, it's, it's not only looking back, but it's also looking forward. And that's kind of a critical piece for us that we talk about. So we come up with a plan of the amends and we also talk to them also about rituals that might be helpful in healing as well. So for some people, it's, um, it's really, that can be spiritual um, rituals. For other people, it can be going back to a particular location, and it can vary um, dramatically. For some people, it's going for hikes in nature and kind of reconnecting. So that, um, that kind of amends and that healing can look, you know, very different for different people. Um, we also have Native American veterans who we've worked with who really um, have incorporated their own cultural healing um, rituals into their recovery work as well. So, um, so I think that that's really, um, no, that was very quick, but that's IOK kind of in a nutshell. And I think that that's really what we have been working to develop here. Um, and then we also um, work, uh, there's a trial here for adaptive disclosure, which um, is kind of dealing with, um, with PTSD and loss and, um, and kind of uh, rather than um, it, moral injury is one piece of adaptive disclosure, but it's much greater in terms of the scope. So um, whereas IOK is really um, focused much more on, on killing in particular and hones in on that piece of moral injury. See, and I, and I know that uh, I had actually um, had the uh, the honor of communicating with Dr. Litz with the, when, when adaptive disclosure, when the, the protocol first came out, um, and, and I've seen that, uh, that beneficial with a lot of the veterans that I work with um, regarding uh, that aspect. Um, and mm -hmm. I'll definitely make sure uh, for listeners the, the links to, to uh, a lot of these different things, um, uh, but definitely um, the, um, 
uh, the IOK and then adaptive disclosure we'll have in the show notes. Um, Dr. McGinn, I know that you, I want to be very, very respectful of your time and it's been very good. I know that you can talk about this. I absolutely know that I could talk about this for hours and hours. Uh, But as we wrap up here, is there anything that you think, uh, any last thoughts or anything that uh, you'd like to address that maybe, maybe we didn't talk about? I think we covered a lot of impressively. I know that we, um, I, I, you're absolutely right. I think you and I, I really appreciate the conversation today. And there's, there's so much more to, to cover, but I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, so I think that we really touched upon a lot of important pieces. I would say that, um, you know, for me, an important piece is fam- the, the families, if families are listening and feel like, they are recognizing some of um, these aspects of moral injury. Um, you know, I, I would just, again, encourage people to reach out. I think I can't stress enough, and I know this is kind of a common theme for your show, but I think it re- a lot of times it's families urging um, veterans to, to get connected or to get help that really is, makes all of the difference um, in, in that trajectory, whether that be you know, connecting with mental health or whether that be connecting with um, larger communities. But I think that the, I can't um, stress enough how important families are in just even um, giving a name to moral injury if that's what they're seeing um, their loved ones experience. So I think that's probably a good note to end on. Um, and it's just really been a pleasure. So I thank you for, for having me on and, and taking the time and um, I hope that um, if anyone, you know, wants more information or I can be helpful, I'm I'm definitely available through email and very happy to to field any questions as well if other people have questions who are listening in. Sure. So do you want to go ahead and uh, provide them uh, that email in case they're listening? We'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Absolutely. So it's um, S-H-I-R-A, Shira, dot M-A-G-U-E-N, um, at va.gov. Um, so my first name, my last name at va.gov. And, um, and please feel free to, to be in contact if I can um, be of help or if any questions come up. And, and of course, uh, for those listening, uh, don't hesitate because that's exactly what I did was just reach out uh, cold email, I think. And, and Dr. McGinn has, is very gracious in, in responding and obviously uh, giving us uh, her time here. So thank you again for coming on the show. My, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. I'm sincerely appreciative of Dr. McGinn's willingness to have the conversation about moral injury. The idea that it's similar to, but different from, post-traumatic stress is an important one. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you'll know that we talked about the interconnectedness of these concepts in the Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp, where we gave you an introduction to moral injury. Moral injury is one aspect of mental health that sort of sets veterans apart. We often have these conversations about PTSD. Combat's not the only way that one can get PTSD, and you don't have to have served in the military. Moral injury does complicate things, and it can complicate things for those who never served as well. A vehicle accident, for example, if one was at fault, could be traumatic enough to cause PTSD, but also have the guilt and shame associated with moral injury. Moral injury related to combat or military service in general, however, is something different. You often hear about the bonds that are created among those served, and the loss of someone you served with is significant. 
Dr. McGinn also talked about the moral implications of killing and how some can experience guilt and shame around it. Another interesting fact, one that I hadn't considered, is when our individual beliefs about right and wrong conflict with cultural expectations. In his book, The Lucifer Effect, Philip Zimbardo says there are situational and systematic factors that influence our behavior. Zimbardo was most famous for the Stanford Prison Experiment, in which a group of college kids were separated into guards and prisoners. The guards became more sadistic, and the prisoners became more passive, based on their roles and the expectations of the environment and the experiment. When one's in an environment that celebrates aggression, anger, and violence, and our personal thoughts about what's right and wrong don't fit in with that, then there's conflict. If we do engage in aggression and violence, contrary to what we originally thought was quote-unquote right, and then come back to a culture that does not celebrate aggression, anger, and violence in the same way, then we feel like we don't quite fit in. An additional note from Zimbardo, attempting to understand the situational and systematic contributions to any individual's behavior does not excuse the person or absolve him or her from the responsibility in engaging in immoral, illegal, or evil deeds. Just because we want to understand the environment of the Abu Ghraib prison does not mean that the people who took part in the scandals there are justified in their actions as a result of the influence. Another important point that Dr. McGinn brought up was how to overcome moral injury and how it goes beyond forgiveness. She talked about the difference between forgiveness and forgetting. Many veterans that I work with say they can't forgive themselves because if they do, then they may feel like they forget what they did. If they forget what they did, it means what they did was meaningless and the veteran knows that it's not. Experiencing forgiveness but not forgetting is possible and it's one path to healing. Atonement, as Dr. McGinn said, is another important one. Often, when someone's opinion of what's right and wrong is changed by their military experience, they feel like there's nothing that can be done to make up for their actions. Atonement, making amends for past mistakes, can do much to repair the injury of the heart and soul that comes with moral injury. There are a lot of great opportunities to engage in that kind of atonement. Team Rubicon, the mission continues, the Travis Mannion Foundation... Each of these organizations aim to support veterans in finding meaning and purpose in their post-military lives and can be vehicles for personal atonement and making amends. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to this conversation. You can find the show notes for this episode and all of the episodes at VeteranMentalHealth.com. You can also find more about moral injury in my book, Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy, which can be found at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash Combat Vet Book. You can find it on Amazon as well. Make sure to join us next week when we talk to another combat veteran, Christopher Malaro. After his military service, Chris started a company called Neuroflow, which supports veterans and mental health providers through the use of technology. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it, and until then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com, you can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com or ChangeYourPOV.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods the show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday, and Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. 
If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out, because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P. I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic tendency, embrace my ability from your forehead it's time man you've been through enough pain stand up it's time to stand back up all my veterans man army marine corps navy air force coast guard get up you know Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. 
By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.